We're excited to tell you about Pine Tree Garden Seeds, a women-run, family-owned and operated business since 1979, founded with the simple mission of offering low prices on quality seeds to the home gardener. Over the years, offerings have expanded to include over 1,300 varieties of seeds, including many heirlooms and organics, a huge assortment of tools and gardening gear, and lots of new gardening books. They also offer roots, plant starts, and tubers, berry bushes, asparagus roots, onion sets, hops, fig trees, sweet potatoes, dahlias, peonies, lilies, and a whole new selection of fall flower bulbs. Located in Maine, they operate out of a 300-year-old farmhouse and strive to offer the best service and products with a personal touch. They continue to hand pack more than half of their seeds and rely on their Ballard machine from the 1890s to do the rest. So order your seeds today from superseeds.com and use the promo code GOODDIRT2024 for 20% off your entire order. That's superseeds, S-U-P-E-R-S-E-E-D-S.com with our code GOODDIRT2024. I do think that's what living a slow life is all about, of trusting that you're going to get there when you get there. And you can have this kind of long, big dream vision and it'll play out the way it plays out. And you don't have to rush it and you don't have to force it and you don't have to fill out your bullet journal in this particular way or you're going to feel like you failed. No, there's, there's no grades. It comes from within. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Dirt Podcast, where we are every Friday and we wanted to remind everyone that we've just started a new season in the Almanac with Shift as our theme for fall. We're really excited about all the content that we've got coming and all the interactions and discussions and gatherings we have around this theme. So I was going to ask you, Emma, what does Shift mean for you? What does it suggest to you? I think Shift is such a good word to describe fall. That's what it really feels like. With every season, there is a new beginning, sometimes new pressures, sometimes ends of things. But with fall and shift in particular, I guess it seems to me like a slower transition. What I like about the theme of shift is that it's so relevant to slow living, I think, because shift implies 
you're doing things in small increments. Shift suggests slow transitions, just like you said, just like as the season's unfolding. And as we talk about on this podcast and in the Almanac and in our book, The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living, we talk about all the small ways that we can employ in our lives to make shifts towards something that feels better, towards things that are healthier for us and better for the planet. And it sort of takes away that pressure of doing something all at once. You know, the New Year's resolution or the new goals that sometimes feel big. That's why we fail at them. That's why they disappear. And we ended up just abandoning our goals. So shift is a, I think is a wonderful approach for moving ourselves towards a more sustainable and slow living lifestyle. And these are all the things we talk about on this podcast all the time. Well said, mom. That was great. So as we may have mentioned before, we have a ton of really exciting things coming up in the Almanac for Fall. And every season we have a meeting. It's probably our favorite meeting of the whole quarter where we sit down and we brainstorm all of the things we're going to talk about and do. And we had the fall one not too long ago, and it truly is just going to be so great. So if you want to join us for it and you want to see what all is in store, what all we're doing, actually, you know what? How about I pull up the list and give a little teaser Oh, that's a fun idea. Of what we have going on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's talk about some of the content coming up. So one of the first things that happens in fall is you want to go out and get your pumpkin candles and your cinnamon sticks and all the things that make your house smell really good. But a lot of those things have ingredients and materials that you might actually not want in your house. So we're going to be talking about some alternatives to creating that fall smell in your house. We're going to talk about putting your garden to bed and what that means We've got some mending activities, especially mending with wool, like felting. And we're going to be talking about some folklore. And then, of course, eventually, we're going to be moving into the holidays. So we'll talk about slowing down for the holidays. Lots of great recipes. Lots of good stuff. Yeah, this all sounds like slow living to me. So if you'd like to join us, you can go to ladyfarmer.com community. You can also find it at the link in the show notes and at the link in our bio. Your membership in the Almanac, whether or not you choose to participate in the community and all the activities, is really what keeps the Good Dirt podcast up and running. So we feel really lucky to be able to support the show in a community-supported way that really supports the mission and the message of this podcast. And we'd love to have you there. Yeah, so all of that sounds like such awesome content for slow living, things that you can do on your own, things you can do in community. And speaking of slow living... That brings us right into our guest for today. Her name is Stephanie O'Day, and she's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a certified life coach, and she's the host of the Slow Living Podcast. Stephanie specializes in long-term goal planning for her clients to live out the life that they've always wanted, the one that they've always dreamt about. That sounds good, doesn't it? She likes to ask, what if you could truly have it all, and what does that mean? What if you could design the life of your dreams and then live it out in real time? We really love what Stephanie's doing and the questions she's asking, and especially the way she's remained really true to the core desires in her own life. This was such an organic conversation. I pretty much forgot it was an interview. And to think that Stephanie's journey actually began with a crock pot. Yes. <laughs> and what started as an idea for a way for her to stay home with her kids just turned into a blog and a website and eventually TV appearances and book contracts and now life coaching. 
and then more recently, the Slow Living Podcast. So we'll let her tell you the story of how everything evolved. So here's Stephanie O'Day from A Year of Slow Cooking, author, coach, and host of the Slow Living Podcast. I am Stephanie O'Day, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to a mom and a daughter because I have three daughters of my own, and I love the idea of fast-forwarding when they're a little older, and if I could do anything entrepreneurially with them and get to chat and hang out and have virtual coffee, I would be all over it. So thank (laughs) you for having me, Emma and Mary. I really appreciate it. We're so glad to have you. And yes, it's really just virtual coffee chat hangs all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and when we were first playing around with the audio, I heard roosters in the background from Mary's house. And I think that is awesome. I am in Silicon Valley, so the San Francisco Bay Area, and things are fast and concretey, and the idea of being on a farm and hearing chickens in the background, or I guess if it, I heard it, it would have been a rooster. So don't judge me on that. <laughs> so super very cool. My husband actually grew up on a farm up in Northern California and had sheep, so that was one of his first jobs instead of. I don't know, having a paper route, he had 22 sheep and they sheared the sheep and and sold the wool and then eventually sold the meat. And it's just kind of a, a very cool life story that he was able to have. And I'd like eventually to have some part of my life story to be on a farm. So I greatly appreciate being able to chat with you today. Yay. So tell us about your business and what you do and how that started and how you got to where you are. I am a mom of three, three girls, as I mentioned, and I have a Basset Hound puppy named Sheldon. Mm -hmm. And I run the A Year of Slow Cooking website. And I have a podcast that is relatively new. We just recorded our 37th episode And it is called Slow Living. And the slow living came about from the A Year of Slow Cooking website. And that actually started in 2008 as a New Year's resolution to use my Crock-Pot slow cooker every day for a year and write about it online. And it took off and wonderful things came from that. And I ended up on TV and ended up meeting Rachel Ray and Diane Sawyer and just getting to do all of these fun and amazing and wonderful and exciting things. And it really came from just this idea that I wanted to legitimately find a way to work from home and take care of my kids. I just don't want it to be a stay-at-home mom, but we live in the San Francisco area. So that wasn't possible to just be a stay-at-home mom. I needed to actually make an income, but I've always been very maternal and motherly and let me save the puppies and let me save all of the things and and take care of the people. So that was truly my long-term goal was to find a way to work from home. And I've got a degree in English and have always written. And I started paying attention to women online making money. And I was trying to figure out, well, how'd they go about doing that? 
And recipe sites at the time had really tight SEO, which is search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. And I liked the idea of not putting pictures of my kids online. I didn't want to share their toddler tantrum meltdowns on the internet. And it wasn't something I was interested in. But recipe sites were ranking really well on Google. And there were people making money. Mm-hmm. And I wanted some of that. And Mm -hmm. so I joked with my husband that I don't even like cooking. I actually really look at cooking as a chore. It's not a fun thing for me to do. And I just used my crock pot because I could dump it all in, push a button and walk away. And so that's how the idea of a year of slow cooking came about. And then eventually it sort of morphed into slow living because women started writing to me and and asking for different life advice and different goal setting. Like, how did you go about achieving this? And and what do you mean when you had this long-term goal and then you broke it down? Can you help me with that? So I ended up getting certified as a life coach. And so now that is primarily what I do is I help other women. And many of the clients that I work with happen to be moms figure out what it is they want out of life. And then we just reverse engineer it and do stepping stones along the way to help people feel fulfilled and feel like they're living out the life of their dreams Mm -hmm. instead of having life happen to them. That's so interesting and makes so much sense. And so much of the work that we do, really, we talk about sustainability and how to slow down from that angle of being more in touch with nature and connection with the seasons. And that ultimately, I think we don't normally say this out loud a lot, but really, obviously, the ultimate goal is being happy and living a life you love. And we have a membership program and we make that connection more there. But in a lot of ways, it is life coaching, lifestyle. People want to slow down because they want to enjoy their life more. And so it, it makes a lot of sense to me that your path kind of led you there. And also with the cooking, that's so interesting because it is a chore and it's really intimidating for a lot of people. And you found a way to make it approachable and accessible, but not in a way that's let's buy a bunch of packaged frozen things, right. pre-made things can make it work for you. So that's really yeah. exciting and fun. It's interesting. It is the easiest way to cook from scratch because whatever you put in the pot is what is going to end up in the pot eight hours later. In our family, we happen to have celiac, so a gluten intolerance. And that was one of the driving forces in trying to legitimately work from home was my youngest at the time. So, I mean, this was eons ago back in 2006 when celiac and gluten intolerance was nowhere near as prevalent as it is now, Mm -hmm. but she was getting sick. And at first I chalked it up to daycare germs, but that's not what it was Mm -hmm. because we pulled her from daycare and she still was getting sick. And so she's totally fine now, but we needed to cook from scratch. I needed to quickly shift how we cooked and how we consumed food. And so I think that was also really helpful for the Crock-Pot site because not only was it only Crock-Pot recipes, they were gluten-free Crock-Pot recipes and all of the cookbooks are fully gluten-free. And so again, with search engine optimization, it was a very tightly focused niche. It paid off. At the height, I was making $1,000 a day in ad revenue. Wow. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And thankfully, I had this thought that this is 
not forever. This let's ride this wave and save the money and funnel it into retirement accounts. And I'm thankful that I had the foresight to do that. And the fact that I actually slowed down and didn't get caught up in this realm of trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to assume that the money would never dry up because mm -hmm. I was able to tell, no, 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 this is a wave, mm -hmm. ride the wave, save the money. And the overarching long-term vision, of course, for us, and as you so eloquently explained to Emma, is to be happy. Mm -hmm. It's to be at peace. Mm -hmm. You're not going to feel happy if you're constantly running and chasing and hunting and gathering for the next shiny thing. Mm -hmm. But if you pause and just take the time to slow down and realize, okay, I'm doing this for my family. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing this because I want to chill <laughs> and hang out with these people that I've created who I love. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do it is to just be still and be here and present and in the now and enjoy the moment you're in and not feel like you're frantically and constantly racing to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Something else I want to say to that is we have a good friend on episode one of this podcast, Amy Dufault. And one of my favorite things of hers that she says when we talk about the root of sustainability and why do we think, well, a big problem that we like to talk about and peel back here is overconsumption and just buying, buying, buying. Mm -hmm. So we talked, we were talking to Amy about why do we think people Overconsume. Why do we know? Why do we buy stuff? Why do we feel like? Also, before we started recording, you you said something so awesome. You were like, "I tried to be at least first thing in the morning. You try to be more of a producer than a consumer." And in general, that's kind of how we think about everything at Lady Farmer. How can we all be more producers than consumers, or at least be empowered to know that we can be that way? And the root of the consumer, according to Amy, comes down to like, why do we buy things? And then you follow the trail of thought and emotion. And a lot of times it's just you're looking for some kind of meaning. And so if you're looking for meaning, then you are meaningless. And then it just goes this way. So it's like meaninglessness. And it's kind of a funny existential place to be. But it's kind of true if where we are here with slow living and sustainability is really just like a journey back to meaning and finding meaning in our lives and in the things that we create and what we're doing. And when that meaning is taken away from us and then we're told to get this, you have to have this thing or you need this amount of money or whatever, it's a tempting trap, I think. And it's easy to be brainwashed that way. I think we all have been. Absolutely. So what we have been talking about is I'm in California, I'm in the Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and you're on the East Coast. So we're recording this at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> my time. And you said, wow, you're up so early. And I am up early. But the reason I'm up early is because it actually does allow me to slow down and plan out my day and live a life on purpose. So I look at slow living as living on purpose. And that's because I'm surrounded by children who are constantly saying, it was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. So I'm like, well, if you were trying to do something on purpose, what would it look like? And, and so that's where that came about. But I, on purpose, get up at four. And that's because it's me alone with my coffee pot mm -hmm. and my journal and my thoughts. And I'm able to not have to help anybody or answer to anybody or go into kind of firefighty mode of, oh, you need this. And, oh, let's sign that field trip permission slip. And, oh, let's get the dog out. And so it's just me. And so I can sort of 
line up my thoughts and my ideas in the day that I want to have on purpose. And then you, who is absolutely adorable, said that first thing in the morning reached for your phone. So if I was going to very carefully and lovingly coach you, I would say, oh, so, how's, so how's that working out for you, Emma? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Stephanie, you said that you started the year of slow cooking. That was around 2006. Did I hear that right? So 2006 is when we were first diagnosed with celiac. The website started in 2008. Okay. So I was going to remark that back then that was really countercultural because, I mean, I know crockpots were a thing, but everybody's trying to do things quickly. And and everything's like quick meals, convenient meals, all this. And I guess your year of slow cooking, do you feel like you put kind of a different slant on that whole thing of get your food together quickly? Or was it about saving time or was it more about slowing down? It sounds like you sort of frame things a little differently, or at least if you didn't intend to do that in the beginning, it sort of evolved into that. It definitely evolved into it. At the time, I had babies in the house, and it literally wasn't safe (laughs) to be chopping onions during the witching hour that happens in many households between four and six. Holding a knife. (laughs) Yeah. So like like literally in the sling, holding a knife. So I would try to get dinner going in the morning when I was fully caffeinated and coherent and the kids were happy. And then I never needed to think about it again. And I think, especially with women, decision fatigue is such a big deal. And getting the decision over and done with by 8 a.m. of what's for dinner was so freeing to me. And then I had all of this extra brain space. So if all of a sudden something came up, the toilet overflowed or we locked the keys in the car or or something happened or somebody got an ear infection. It was okay. I could tend to all of those things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a present mom. I wanted to do all of the things. And then I never needed to think or worry about dinner again. And it also, we were on a very tight budget. It helped me stick to our food budget and we weren't coming in the house at 5 p.m. starving and cranky and worried about food and dinner. And when that happens, it's so tempting to just pick up the phone. And well, back in the olden days, we dialed the pizza company, but now I'm sure there's an app. Um, (laughs) So it helped us stick to our household budget. And then again, because we are gluten-free, it's much easier to cook your meals from scratch and find gluten-free food when you are aware. It's not easy to hit the drive-thru when you've got food sensitivities. Did you notice how the crock pot, the slow cooker kind of evolved into the Instapot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, go go ahead. Yes. No, I was going to say, it, I didn't like it, Mary. It pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. It, it sort of took that idea of throw everything in, kind of forget it, but it, it reduced everything to, you know, I remember like you can boil an egg and like, three minutes or whatever. And and people are still doing it. And God bless people out there that use the Instapot and love it and it fits into their life. I'm not commenting on that at all. It was just funny to me how the slow cooking thing suddenly became, we're going to do it super fast. <laughs> yeah. So actually I ended up having an anxiety attack, a really bad one during that whole craze. And I was driving 
on the freeway heading towards Golden Gate Park in San Francisco to bring my daughter to a cross-country track event. Yeah. And thankfully, I knew I was having an anxiety attack, but these sort of black elevator doors Ugh. were coming across my eyes and my legs were twitching and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Ooh. And so I was able to navigate off the freeway. But at that time, my book publishers and my literary agent and my email list were clamoring for these Instant Pot recipes. And I was being told I'm leaving money on the table and go for the low-hanging fruit stuff. And you're an idiot. Also, wonderful, wonderful when a publisher tells you that you're an idiot oh, wow. for leaving money on the table and give the people what they want. But I didn't like the Instant Pot and they still don't. I have one and I goofed around with it. But just because you can cook a frozen chicken in 45 minutes doesn't mean you should. Yes. And it still means you're coming home from work and you're trying to figure out what dinner is. That's yeah. not relaxing to me. I want to come home and have it ready for me. <laughs> Don't want to have to think after I've thought all day at work or, or doing things out of the house. I want to come home and feel relaxed. And I do believe my home is my peaceful place and my sanctuary. And I've taken the time to curate the stuff that's in the house. And the idea of frantically cooking dinner at 4, 5, or 6 p.m. is not appealing to me. Again, I don't want to like pile on and hate on Instant Pot <laughs> because as like my mom mentioned, I'm sure, of course, there are people who Feel the way about Instant Pot as you do about slow cookers. But I to add, I will say, I also have an Instant Pot. Well, now I have one of these. It's not exactly an Instant Pot. It's like pressure cooker and slow cooker. And, you know, you can do air fryer. We use, we, I like the air fryer. But the thing with the Instant Pot, the pressure cooking is, yeah, I guess it cooks in less time, but it still has to come to pressure, which isn't no time. And so I felt a little like duped. When I was looking at these recipes and it's like, this cooks in 15 minutes, but it takes 30 minutes to come to pressure. Anyways, just to say, yeah. I think it was a big marketing thing that wasn't everything was cracked up to me. It is a big marketing. So when you were talking about your friend from the first episode and talking about why we're consumers mm -hmm. versus producers and why we feel like we have to buy, buy, buy mm -hmm. um, more, more, more in order to feel calm and peace and essentially happy, it is a marketing spin. Mm -hmm. And the way these social media apps and all of these things are designed are literally to addict you and trick your brain into thinking that the next thing, the next image, the next video will have the answer mm -hmm. that you're searching for. And really when you stop and kind of unplug a bit and go within, you're going to find that you intuitively know what the next right thing to do is. And I ended up actually surrounded by marketers and all of these things. I was filmed for an infomercial <laughs> and I was there and it wasn't for an Instant Pot. It was the Ninja cooking system and they no longer make that. But I loved this. It was kind of a glorified slow cooker. And I was there to legitimize this slow cooking and it was totally fun. And, and they gave me fake eyelashes. That was the first time I ever wore fake eyelashes. And it was awesome. But they wanted me to look into the camera and say, this is the best beef stew I've ever had. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do it. And I'm like, oh, I can't say that. And they're like, oh, sure you can. It's right there on the teleprompter. And I'm like, but it's beef stew. 
And beef stew tastes like beef stew all over the place. Like it doesn't make it any better. Yeah. It's just this cool new gadget, but yeah. it doesn't make the world's best beef stew. And I'm not comfortable saying that, but that's what the hype is. And so when you peel back the hustle and you peel back the hype and you peel back the go, 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 bye, 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 more, 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 you're sort of left as a human with your own devices and sort of filtering it all out to make the next best choice. But all of these things are truly designed to confuse your brain. So you're just going to go for the quote-unquote low-hanging fruit. Just, mm-hmm. And it's tricky. Mm-hmm. That's such a great story about when you were being asked to provide recipes for the Instant Pot. It actually, it was so fundamentally against your soul and what you're trying to do that it threw you into panic. I think that's just such an awesome illustration of what the effect that these things have on us without us even realizing is largely unconscious and subliminal. So, and I guess the instant pot craze has sort of died down. I don't, I don't feel like I see it around so much anymore, but for a while you felt like you were really missing out if you didn't have one. So guess what? I got one and I caught on rather quickly that it was not for me. And Emma, I gave it to you. That's why you have one. Remember? (laughs) I gave it to our our neighbor back in the other place we used to live. So if it helps, I have all of these broken, (laughs) my husband's not thrilled, but I have broken crockpot bases and instant pot bases in my garden that I've repurposed into planters. Yeah. You could start this whole trend on your your farm. (laughs) I had a bunch of those too. I think I eventually got rid of them. So it sounds like you're about a decade or more behind me and the raising family thing. My kids came up through the 90s and it occurred to me at some point in there that our main source of entertainment or doing things together was to go out and buy things. And that was a real shocking revelation to me. We lived in a dot-com boom area. It was the northern suburbs of Atlanta. And things were just popping up every day. You know, the shopping centers and the big box stores where you could get everything for such a great deal and all of this. And so what we did was pile the kids in the car and go to the new thing that opened. And you would do that. And Emma, you remember what fun it was to go to Target and load up your basket. And the mall and get Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah, the food court. <laughs> you know, there was a carousel in the food court. So anyway, at some point in the middle of all this and raising the family and all the busyness and everything, it occurred to me that, gosh, we need to think of something other to do other than going shopping. <laughs> but that was what it was back then. Things were booming. The economy was just booming. I have found similar things in my own home life and then raising my children. So what's interesting is my husband and I, we've been married 22 years now. We met in high school and actually the first time we got married was in senior year in our economics class and we were paired up and we were married and needed to come up together with a household budget. And (laughs) that was one of our projects. It was very cool. Yeah. But what was very interesting is we have always been pretty frugal. We got married young and we had children young. So the carefree life that many 20-year-olds have of traveling and being carefree didn't happen. I had my first before 25. And now the idea is to retire early 
and travel in a little RV and see all of the states and do these things while we're still relatively young and healthy and can enjoy it. And so we've always sort of had this long-term vision of saving more than spending. And so the idea of going to the mall and just buying things wasn't something that we did necessarily for entertainment. We definitely like Target and Costco and doing all these things, but we didn't necessarily buy. We just sort of wandered about. And I think I've always had a bit of a a less is more and minimalistic mindset, probably just because growing up, my mom and grandma kept everything. There's lots of piles, lots of things. And I am a teensy bit anxious. So it's calmer and more relaxing to me if I have less things to take care of and manage. And so as far as the consuming items, that hasn't been an issue with my children. What has been an issue is consuming other people's creations when it comes to social media and Mm -hmm. and the screens and trying to limit that. And we live in Silicon Valley. So going down the street, the babies have tablets in the stroller Mm -hmm. and it's just everywhere. Screens are everywhere. And I am a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to that and that I, I have a background in early childhood education. And before having kids, I ran preschool centers and have a background in social work. And so I didn't think it was good for babies' brains. And so I didn't introduce that for a super very long time. And my children were some of the last holdouts when it came to getting smartphones and and different devices. And my children still do not, well, the 20-year-old does, but my 17-year-old doesn't have her own Apple ID. She can't download things to her phone without me typing in the password and doing it for her because I didn't want her to have Snapchat. I didn't want her to do these things. And that is not normal. I am not normal. Mm -hmm. And I stand by the decisions and I'm proud of the kids that we've raised. And they have now thanked me. Hey, mom, thanks for not letting me get Facebook. Hey, mom, thanks for waiting until I was 16 to let me have Instagram because my friends are totally addicted and I am not. So I have always wanted them to look at the internet and social media as a tool, not as something to just kind of mindlessly scroll. Yeah, that's such foresight too, because kind of like you, mom, in the 90s, you didn't necessarily grow up as a teen in that time of, you know, we shop for entertainment. So it's kind of, you were kind of experiencing it with us. But now in retrospect, you're like, oh, we wouldn't have done that. And most people, you know, I'm a millennial now. If when I have kids, I will like have very strong, very specific feelings about screens. But if I had had kids in the early 2000s, I would have just, you know, I wouldn't have known. We don't know the repercussions until we kind of live through it ourselves. So that's really awesome foresight on your part. And also, it's just crazy how going back, taking it back to slowness and slow living, like the fact that the world and technology just moves so fast around us, we have to really slow down if we are going to be able to understand like the effects that all that is having on us. Absolutely. And I think it's tricky because we're humans and humans are social creatures. We live in society. We live in a community and we look around at others and model 
that behavior. Like, well, well, they seem to be okay. And and I mean, back to cigarettes, like, well, so-and-so is smoking and they haven't died yet. Like looking back on it, why on earth would we have ever thought that smoking would help with digestion? Yet that was the marketing of the 50s. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I really do think that when you take the time to listen to kind of your inner thoughts and pray on it and journal on it and just think, you really do kind of know the answers. And like, is this really a smart thing for my six-year-old to have their own YouTube account? Is that really a smart thing? Like, (laughs) Like, let's fast forward five years, 10 years. Is that what we want for them? Here are some things we love about Pine Tree Garden Seeds. For one thing, they're lady farmers. It's a woman-owned and woman-run company. 85% of their staff is female. And they've recently switched to a more sustainable envelope to ship seeds. Their new mailers are completely recyclable, made of paper and a cushioning material that is specifically designed to easily separate from the paper fibers during the repulping and recycling process. They're also longtime members and supporters of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and signers of the Safe Seed Pledge, promising to never knowingly sell any GMO seeds. They do germination testing throughout the year on every single seed variety they carry, so they can stand behind their viability guarantee. Pine Tree Garden Seeds is meant for every level of expertise, for the yard artists, the backyard growers, the herb explorers, the bouquet builders, the habitat curators, and beyond. They're committed to helping you get the most out of your home garden by providing high-quality garden seeds, plants, and supplies at an affordable price. Get your spring garden going today by ordering your seeds from superseeds.com and using our promo code GOODDIRT2024 for 20% off your entire order. That's S-U-P-E-R-S-E-E-D-S.com with our code GOODDIRT2024. Looking for a natural and reliable plant fertilizer you can trust? For your garden and indoor plants alike, look no further than BIOS, the all-natural plant fertilizer. Use the link in the show notes to get yourself a free sample from their website so you can try it yourself. Then use the code LADYFARMER15 for 15% off when you're ready to buy. BIOS will come to you in compostable packaging and is 100% pet-friendly, which we love here at Lady Farmer. BIOS, the all-natural plant fertilizer for everyone. Well, a couple of things I want to comment on. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And to your point, Emma, about like I didn't grow up with shopping as an entertainment. Shopping specifically for clothes, you did it very purposefully. You needed to go get your back to school clothes. So you had a shopping trip for that purpose and you got X number of items and you got your new shoes and that was it. So then when in the 90s, particularly after the so much of the clothing manufacturing went overseas and the big box stores and the things that offer clothes super, super cheap, it became exciting and fun. And I'm even embarrassed to admit I was part of this, but it was just part of the delusion that this was a good thing. You could go get all these clothes really cheaply and you could get whatever you wanted. It didn't cost much. 
if it didn't work out, that was okay because it didn't cost much. And mm-hmm. and now that has created such a, a worldwide horrific problem, which we talk about a lot. I won't go into it here, but those things, those cultural mindset mm-hmm. that this is okay and this is a good thing. And to your point about living on purpose and slowing down enough to think, is this a good thing? I didn't have the foresight or the knowledge in the 90s to think about this, but now I want to ask when I start to buy something and I want to encourage other people to ask, you know, why is this so cheap? Is this really a good idea to purchase this Mm -hmm. and bring it into my home? And yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, what are you bringing into your home? And that whole thing in the nineties about all the shopping places and when you could get cool stuff and it didn't cost very much and you could have all these cute things. So our large house in Georgia quickly filled up with things, you know, three kids, all the activities, all the equipment, just all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when we moved from Georgia to a very small place in Washington, it was a monumental task. It was like archaeology, sifting back through all that stuff from the last the decade, the 13 years that we lived there. We still have post-traumatic stress from it. Yes. So now I've become like almost like horrifying, allergic to clutter. And now I, it's primary activity of mine is that drawer has too much stuff in it. Clear it out, you know, in that closet. And so now I'm very, very serious about that because I realize the effect it has on me and that what you were saying, Stephanie, about made you feel anxiety and stress with a lot of stuff around you. I'm the exact same way. And over the last month, we have just moved my parents who are in their 90s, they're 95 and 97, from the home where they lived independently into assisted living. So they went down from like, I don't know, 3,000 square feet to about 700 square feet. And my mother, who has some dementia, was very, very upset about leaving all her stuff. And this was, of course, you know, it's a huge transition for them, but they had to do it. And they knew it. So there was a lot of tears and discussion about, will I be able to take this? Will I be able to take that? So my brothers and I, we were very strategic. We took measurements. We figured out what could actually fit and chose very carefully the things that were to go over. And we really focused on things that would look like her surroundings. And I have to say, we did a good job because when she walked in there, she said, oh, all my stuff is here. All my stuff got in. And it was like one twentieth of her stuff. Oh, and she has repeated many times since living there. And this is the opposite of what's supposed to happen when people move into those places. She says, this feels so much like home. I can see all my things. And I've taken that to mean so many of the things that were around them had lost their meaning because their lives were focusing in on just so many activities a day and where they sat and where they read and, you know, this chair and this coffee cup and just really a very few things. And I want to pare my life down to those essential things like now. I think it is such a gift to give your children Mm. to when you are able to consciously and thoughtfully and purposely purge and downsize and declutter and then just not leave it to them. So my mom is currently shifting through grandma's belongings because grandma passed away in 2017. And so the house got emptied and put into a storage unit and then eventually you don't want to pay for the storage unit. (laughs) So things are still going shifted through. And my mom actually just yesterday talked about how grandma saved every single greeting card she's ever been given. And it's hard because someone went out and bought that card and wrote that heartfelt message. Mm -hmm. And you get it. You get why 
grandma saved it. But now I ache for my mom who has to then make these hard decisions. And she's making those decisions because she says, I don't want you and your brother to now have to go through this eventually. And it, and it's super tricky. It is super yeah. difficult. And it's so easy to just flippantly say, get rid of it all. You don't need it. You're right. But that's what life is. Life is filled with all of these tiny little baby decisions and thoughtfulness. And, and so now even with my husband and, and I'm like, please don't go to Hallmark and buy me a card. It's just fine. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. You, you, you can write it on a post-it or you can just send me a text and give me a hug. It is just fine. But the guilt of throwing away things. And, and now the women that come to me and they're like, my kindergartner produces so much art. What do I do with it? Yeah. And I'm like, hug them, love the art, put it on the refrigerator for a week or two. And then when nobody's looking, you get rid of it. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to end up with yes. 3,000, 4,000 square feet filled with art and essential scribbles, which isn't a nice thing to say because it's your baby and your baby worked hard on this. But did they really work hard on it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'll share this, that what my husband and I do about those cards. I have saved many of the anniversary and birthday cards and everything. I keep them in a box. And when the anniversary and the birthday and Valentine's rolls around, we go in there and pull out an old, old card <laughs> and just use it again. And you recycle it? We just, we yeah, just, just use it take. again. So, I, you know, I have Valentine's cards. Oh my gosh, what a great idea. <laughs> I, I have Valentine's cards. Oh, like Mary, nine. my mind is blown. <laughs> right. My mind is blown because I'm pretty sure he's given me the same anniversary card accidentally before. Yes, yeah. because, yeah, because <laughs> you have the same style or you like the same thing, you know, the funny little bear that sang a rhyme to the wife, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So we have all those. What a neat idea. So I have one box and it's full of all the old cards and stuff. And I do the same with the kids' birthdays and everything. I seldom mail it to them because I know that they would just, I don't know what they would do with it, but they're around. But that's what my husband and I do. And it's funny. It's a a joke. And it's a joke, but it gets, you know, it's like you say, give me a hug or whatever. You don't have to, please don't go buy a, spend $4 and 50 cents. I know. I feel, Adam is such a wonderful guy (laughs) and he's just amazing. And I have tried my hardest to tell him, you do not need to get flowers on Valentine's Day. You do not need to do these things. It is a made up holiday. They're overpriced. Please don't do it. But then he follows what I've asked him to do. You feel bad. Driving home from work. He, Yeah. He hears the radio ads telling him he's a loser and how on earth could you? And so then all of a sudden he's stopping at Safeway and picking something up. Like, oh my God, you did it again. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 pure thoughtfulness, but it is this, you are a bad person if you don't do the things that the marketers are telling you you need to do. And how many wives out there think there's something missing in our relationship because I didn't get this Mm -hmm. bouquet of flowers from the supermarket that's loaded with chemicals, loaded with preservatives, and really not good for the environment, not good for you, not good to have in your home, not good to breathe the air that those things are sitting in. I hate to be dramatic people, but this is true. No, it it absolutely is true. Yeah. And that leads me to another kind of shift. What you were saying about your daughter being celiac and in the 90s, you had to find the gluten-free recipes. No, excuse me, the early 2000s, Mm -hmm. like 2006. Mm -hmm. So in 
our work through Lady Farmer, doing all this research and talking to these people. That was the era when the chemical fertilizers and pesticides were beginning to be in super, super heavy use in the agricultural system. So our grains and wheat was inundated with stuff and we started seeing it. Well, this is correlation, not causation, but at the same time, you know, we started seeing an increase in children's and other people's allergies and tolerances and everybody's going, what's going on? Why are these kids so allergic? And so it's just interesting for me that your family found that. And early on you started, you discovered this and you said, okay, we're going to start eating what I would call, what we call real food, not processed food because it's convenient. And you started actually creating your meals from real food. So you've had the epiphany about real food early on in your family life. I can't say the same in the nineties. They were telling us, feed your kids eight to 12 servings of whole grains per day. And they weren't telling us that that was inundated with stuff, pesticides and herbicides. And it's been a real thing. It really, really has. And what's interesting is sometimes common sense gets sort of muddled up when they, with a capital T, tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing. And a lot of it is just, I mean, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again, of just kind of listening to your intuition and your gut and making your own best decisions. So we love camping and I love being off the grid as much as possible. And some of my best decisions and and thoughts when it comes to our family is when just Adam and I are, are thinking without any outside influences because it's so easy now to second guess yourself and be like, well, what's Google have to say? And, oh, so-and-so has a fever. Like my intuition says I'm going to put them in kind of a tepid bath and just sort of rehydrate them. Oh, no, but Google says now that, no, they're going to get a chill and they're going to do this. But if when you unplug all of the stuff and go back to the quote-unquote olden days when there wasn't all of these things to sell us, of course, Little House on the Prairie time would put the kid in a tepid bath <laughs> and put a cool washcloth on their head. Of course, like mm-hmm. that is how it works. And so sometimes the intuition gets muddled and yeah. cast aside by researching and over-researching and doing all of the things that we're told to do. And a lot of the women that I work with, they come to me because they've done all of the things correctly. They've gotten the good grades. They've gone to the good schools. They've got the house in the suburbs. They have the 2.5 kids and the golden retriever in the yard, and they still feel a little unfulfilled. Mm. And they feel like, well, what is wrong with me? I have all of the stuff that I was supposed to have in order to make me feel happy. I'm not there yet. Like, what is the missing piece? And really the missing piece is the decision to just be content and literally just be here and be now and be present and be thankful and be mindful. But it's much easier, much, much, much easier to distract and think that happiness is the next shiny object or just around the bend or or the next degree or the next milestone at work. Yes, that's so true. And I'm interested in your work specifically that you do with your clients. Are there any other common threads that you notice people coming to you for the help 
sort these things out and common obstacles that you feel are interesting to share? And what you just said, Stephanie, was was so beautiful. What about goals and dreams? Not just objects or the car or the house, but goals like mm-hmm. I want to be this or I want to be that. And I've been through phases of my life where I thought I wanted to be something. I have a certain amount of acknowledgement from the world. And so what do you Mm. say to those clients? So I love that we've got this sort of farming and gardening metaphor because the the grass is always greener, but grass Mm. will green up if you just water it and fertilize it, pay attention. I love that. You already have the grass. It's so true. Um, yeah, put some natural fertilizer on there and compost and do all of the things because it's it's, it's right. So true. We're raised to chase gold stars and accolades mm-hmm. and awards and praise from others. I mean, it starts at such a very, very, very young age that your toddler is learning to walk. And chances are they will take their first steps when you're not even looking. But what eggs them on is the cheering and the video camera coming out and people being proud. And then that carries on through potty training. And all of a sudden you're going to get a sticker on the chart and you're going to get an M&M. And then in grade school, you're going to have a happy teacher and good grades. So growing up, I went to Taylor Middle School and we had T-cards. And if you are caught picking up garbage or doing a kind chore, you would be given this tea card and your name is written in it. And then the name that's card is get put in a fishbowl. And at the end of the week, they draw names to give you some sort of cheap plastic thing from Oriental Trading Company, like a light up yo-yo or something like that. (laughs) I think we have that too. Then the kids (laughs) find themselves only picking up garbage when someone is looking, oh. so then they could get a tea card <laughs> or, or coming and saying, I just cleaned up, blah, blah, blah. Where's yeah. my tea card? I'm like, no, you do it for the goodness that comes from within and, and knowing mm-hmm. that you're doing the right thing. But mm-hmm. that's not how we're raised and how our society is built up. If you do well at work, you get more money or you get the raise and it's constant feedback and accolades from others. Yeah. But at the end of the day, unless, what is it, chirogenics like comes really, (laughs) really advanced. The end of the day, we all have the same end. We we really, really, really do, which is kind of grim. Which is dirt. It is. Good dirt. (laughs) None of those things are going to matter. None of them. It's the feelings and the warmth and the connections that you have with others that will make you feel good about yourself. And what I try and teach and coach about is how do you want to feel today? You want to feel proud? Like like what adjective are you trying mm-hmm. to feel? Are you trying to feel calm? Are you trying to feel at peace? Are you trying to feel proud? And then from there, what can you do today to make you feel this way? I teach the concept of the peace pyramid. And so the very bottom of the pyramid has time management, finances, and your health, because you're not going to ever feel calm and you're never going to feel at peace if those things aren't met. And then moving up the pyramid, we've got all of the relationships you have in your life and your organization, your household organization. It's very hard, especially for women, to feel calm and to feel at peace if their house 
and their home is in disarray. And I'm sure it's completely and totally sexist that men can probably go to bed and not worry about the overflowing dishes and the overflowing laundry pile. But it is very difficult for women to feel calm and put together and like they've done a good job if the house is in disarray. And then when those pieces are all working together, that's when you feel proud of yourself. You can climb in to bed knowing, you know what? I did my all. I I paid a, a tiny bit of attention to all of these components and it does make me feel good. And doing all of the things that I have to do and getting them over with an efficient way, in a calm way, then leads to this sense of tranquility and you can move on and do the things that you want to do. And the problem is we are shoving aside all of the things we want to do because there are so many things that we have to do that we're getting overwhelmed. But when you do take the time to unplug the noise and drown out the kind of nonsense and go back to the basics, like what do I really have to do today? Like what do I have to do in order to feel content? There's very few things, very few things. And so if you have a want to do, great big, huge, juicy goal, getting those have tos over with so then you can move on to the want tos is absolutely doable. And if we're lucky, life is long. So don't feel like you have to cram absolutely everything on your to-do list in one day because you do not. You are not a spreadsheet and every day does not need to build off of the day before. It's okay to go slow. It's okay to take off the freeway approach and enjoy the journey you're on because it's not a race and it's not a hustle and you do not need to believe and fall into the hype trap. That's so refreshing yeah. because so much of just the space that that you work in and the space that I find myself in a lot as sort of a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur trying to like get it all together. That is not the message of so of this like entrepreneur life. And it's even funny because you get up at 4 a.m. and you do the thing. But basically until I talked to you today, I sort of had this like getting up at 4 a.m. and like doing all the things and like 10 minutes journal, 10 minutes exercise, miracle hour, whatever. Like that to me, that's like so not, it's not slow. Good old Hal Elrod. He's so funny because Obviously, he does not have young children in the house because if you're up all night nursing a baby or you've got a toddler with a bloody nose, none of those things are going to happen. (laughs) So I just love your your perspective on that and how to our listeners, whether or not you have any particular interest in this sort of life coaching world, there's just so much to be taken from that and from that I love that metaphor of the the like highway versus the like getting off. The yes. Bus, doing using the side roads or like we even do that in our life to go pick up the food at our farm. Like you can take 66, like you can literally route 66. You can get on the highway when it's so ugly and so many tolls or you can it takes a, a little bit longer, maybe 25 percent longer, but you can take back roads and it's like so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And that's just so opposite of what we're told and the pressure cooker. The instant pot that we're all in. Well, it's not a fun feeling. It really, really yeah. isn't. And and it makes you feel like you're behind. Yeah. And you're yes. and like you're about to get in trouble because you're not doing things right. And that's just silly. Right. Or you're missing yeah. out. Well, okay. So that's really interesting. So the FOMO. So I've sort of rewritten the FOMO instead of 
You're missing out. Oh, see, so it's so funny because in my head, I have rewritten it. So it's figure only myself out. Oh, I love that. And <laughs> no, so I can't even remember what it's really supposed to be. But but that's what it's about. That's what life that. is about. Is It's not doing something that the capital they tell you to do. It's what you want to do and what you're meant to do and living the life you've always sort of dreamt about on purpose. I want to add to that and reflecting on what you said about how do you want to feel today? Really, that's the end goal because we all have these things we want. And why do we want them? We want them because they will make us feel a certain way. We want to have the feeling Mm -hmm. of being, oh, I'm there. First of all, you're never really there. You're always evolving. And to your point, Stephanie, if you're lucky, there are many decades to play these things out in a slow way. But when you look at it and what am I going for? I'm going for a feeling. And that feeling, I think for most people, I don't think I'm speaking out of term when I say most people want to feel happy and peaceful and fulfilled. And they want to feel in community. They want to feel loved and appreciated and they want to love and appreciate others. And those things in themselves, those feelings don't have a lot to do with the kind of job you have or, or anything with the kind of job you have or the, how much money you make or what your house looks like or what kind of car you drive. Those things are from inside yourself, again, to your point, and largely in part from taking the, in the moment, looking around and saying, look what I have right now. Look what I have right now. But on another note, I want to ask you, what about there are people out there that say, I'm not in a position to do this. I'm not, you know, I have this situation or that situation and I don't have enough money to live and I'm in an unhappy relationship or there are all kinds of things that would seem like obstacles to people for doing this, for slowing down and looking at what they have and trying to feel peaceful in the moment and decluttering or what do you say to those people that are your clients? It's a big question. And the fact is, I truly believe everyone, no matter what phase of life they're in, is doing the very best they can in any given moment. And so if I could, I would give everybody a great big, huge bear hug and let them know that they're not wrong and they're not making mistakes. And if they feel as if they don't have the amount of money that they need or want, they didn't do anything wrong. And to just try to better the thoughts that they're having in order to have a little bit of a better feeling day. So for instance, if you're a single mom and you have to work and you hate your job, but you need to keep going because you need to get food on the table. It's really tricky to have the thought, God, I hate this job. God, I don't want to wake up every day. This is not fun. This is miserable. I just want to be home. I don't like this. I wish I had more money. Those might be all true things, but they will leave you with a feeling of despair. And that's not the type of feeling that we're trying to cultivate here. So It takes some time and sometimes it feels a little phony baloney, but if you can try and shift just a little bit of, okay, today is a new day. I am going to rock this thing. I don't like Susie. I think she's obnoxious. So 
instead of meeting her this way, I am going to take the other way around the building and I am going to fill up my water canteen on floor three instead of floor two. And ooh, today is the day that I'm going to turn this into a game of how I can avoid Susie. And just sort of deciding that you are in control of the moment you're in, even if it feels as if your particular life experience isn't exactly what you want. You can decide right here and now, if you have a, a health diagnosis that you're not pleased with, you can decide right here and now what you can do. All right, I can decide I'm going to drink half my body weight in water today. That is what I'm going to decide. Does that mean I'm in the bathroom all day? Yup. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to decide to do this. Just trying to be the adult in the room and the adult in your life and really paying attention to the things that you can control will eventually trickle down into all areas of your life. And you will find that where you are today, if you put a pin in today, you will be much farther along in a year three years, five years, than if you continue with this sort of cycle of negative self-talk and negative chatter and feeling like it's never going to work out. This is miserable. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like these shoes. I wish I had this. None of those things will help get you to where you want to go. Oh, I like that so much. And I agree 100% that it's, it's just shifting into really noticing how you feel and what you're telling yourself. And I'll add to that, find purposeful moments of pleasure, even however fleeting they are. Like this sip of coffee is so delicious. Or, you know, you're at work at the job you hate and there's one window and you look out and you see a bird and you say, is that a beautiful bird? And look at that beautiful tree and notice it. You know, I think so many very pleasurable, nurturing, positive moments slip by us just because they're in the midst of this day we're feeling like we hate or this setting or whatever. But they're there. They're always there. There's stuff there. There are things there to notice and feel. Feeling is the important part of it. And if the more of those little moments fleeting or not that you can add up every day, the more of the day you're going to be feeling good. It's, it's just, it's so simple. It's so simple. Decide to feel good about anything. And before you know it, you're going to be feeling good more than you feel bad, whatever your situation yeah. is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does to me. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the play Our Town? Yes. W with the narrator? Yes. Yeah. So I just saw, I saw it recently at a production here in DC. It was so beautiful. And I was familiar with it. If I'd seen it, it had been a really long time. But that last act just has really stuck with me where Emily Webb, this is not really a spoiler, but it's in the third act, she's died and she comes back as a ghost to her town and she gets to pick one day to relive. And all the people that are dead in the graveyard, they're like, you don't want to go back. It'll be really upsetting. And she's like, why? And so she picks a day that's her birthday and she goes back and she's so excited to get one more day to be among the world. And she realizes that no one's looking at each other. No one can smell the breakfast cooking. Everyone's stressed out about the day and they're in a hurry and they're just trying to get off to school and work. And that's this day that she remembers where her whole family was together, but everyone's looking and talking past each other. And that's really depressing to her. Yeah. And she goes back to the graveyard and she gives this harrowing monologue at the end that's like, well... 
humans have no idea. They don't look at each other. (laughs) And it was just so moving. And I think about that a lot in this conversation that we're having now just about slow living. And yeah, let's just look at each other and look at the bird. Yeah. I like that you brought that up because how that has sort of morphed into my coaching world and the slow living is people write to me or chat with me and and ask, how do you promote this sort of family dinner when everyone's on the phone? And Mm -hmm. my response is, there are no phones at the table. And they're like, oh, well, that won't work. And that's where we need to put the pin in it. And that's where you need to decide Mm -hmm. to be the adult in the room and decide this is it. This is the boundary that I am making. I get to decide what happens in my house and at my table. Mm -hmm. And the hard and fast rule is from this day forward, we're done. They stay Mm -hmm. out of the kitchen or they stay out of the dining room. And it's okay to feel a little uncomfortable and not, (laughs) it's so silly, but some people don't now know how to make small talk and don't know Mm -hmm. how to make eye contact and pass the salt and pass the mashed potatoes and have Mm -hmm. proper family dinner and manners and all of these things. And maybe it sounds old fashioned and old school, but that's what needs to happen in order to sort of break this cycle of constantly chasing the new shiny object and the next new thing. Mm -hmm. And the algorithms on these devices are literally designed to scramble your brain and addict you and make the rule. It does not come into the kitchen. It does not. Leave it here. Yeah. What's so funny about that is in the play, Our Town, it takes place in, I think, 1908 or 1909 or something, like really early. And it's funny that it's the same conversation. They obviously didn't have smartphones back then, but same conversation. And another thing with the algorithm is creepy. I love TikTok. I'm on TikTok too much, but I find it a very creative and rejuvenating place. It makes me laugh. But at the same time, to your earlier point, I'm probably in a pattern of consuming there and I could be creating and sharing stuff on there too. So side conversation. But TikTok has a thing where if you're on there for long enough, it will show you a video of someone going like a nice person who's probably they probably know your age and everything. They're like, hey, you've been watching TikTok for a while. You should probably go to bed. Oh, that's really cute. Really creepy. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate I'm like, whoa, okay. If TikTok is telling me I need to put my phone down, <laughs> I, know. I probably should. I know. And and I am not, I am most certainly not your mom, Emma. And your mom is right here and your mom is adorable and wonderful. Yeah. But because I care about you and your brain, Keep your phone away from your brain. So put it on the other side of the room. Yeah. You don't need it. Or just not bring it to my bedroom. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But, you know, she's an adult, so I have to. (laughs) They're all somebody's baby. Everybody is somebody's baby. (laughs) When your kids get to that age, you'll reach the day when you realize, I really have nothing to say about that anymore. You can and you can try. (laughs) But guess what? I wanted to ask you before we move into our good dirt question, what are the slow living challenges in your own life? In my own life, I think it is because I live in Silicon Valley and I've consciously decided to do things against the grain, feeling unworthy or like I'm stupid, I, I, I guess is, is the feeling. For instance, summer camps and overscheduling children is not something I believe in and it's not something that I do. I am A-okay with my kids being bored. I am A-okay with them going outside and finding a trail of ants and poking at them and doing that. I am A-okay 
with turning the Wi-Fi off in the house for the day and saying, nope, sorry, we're going outside. We're going to go do this. And play dates and meeting moms at the park. It's what summer camp are you doing? And oh, are you doing Russian math? And oh, are you doing Kumon? And I do feel (laughs) sometimes like I'm making a mistake and I'm messing up and I'm going to regret it. And having to stick to what I think is right, even though I'm getting so much conflicting information thrown at me. So what's helpful is now my children are older. So they're 20 and 17 and 12. And my 20-year-old actually already graduated from college. So she was able to graduate early and has a great head on her shoulders and knows what she's going to do for grad school and still isn't on many different devices and and things like that. And now has thanked me for limiting that and not allowing her to go to this party or that party where they're binge drinking and things like that. So I can see now that it worked out. But in the time and in the moment, the feeling of inadequacy or feeling like I was making a mistake by not following the trend really sort of haunted me. And it's only now with age and wisdom and retrospection that I am proud of the choices that I've made. Again, with being frugal and sticking to our budget, I now can tell that my husband and I will be able to retire the way we want to and it'll all be okay. I'm so glad you brought that up about the summers because I had the same, this was early 2000s and my kids were that age where I would start getting phone calls in January, February saying, you got to sign up for this summer camp or it's going to fill up. And I'm like, really? Mm. I need to write a check in February to make sure that my kid has entertainment in June. And I thought, this is wrong. This is wrong. And I got on the then young internet and I found, I said, we're not doing this I am not spending the summer paying for kids to be schlepped off, me in the car, dropping them off places to be entertained like week after week. And I hauled them all off to Costa Rica to volunteer. I found a program. It was, I had to look for hours, but I found a program that took people under 18 and our whole family went to Costa Rica on a volunteer vacation. And it was so great. And amidst all the howling from the kids and people like, what are you doing? Where are you taking your family? My parents thought I'd fallen for an internet scam. <laughs> yeah. And, but it was so fun and so memorable. And then two years later, we went to Africa for six weeks. We took them to Tanzania. Oh, we did the same fantastic. thing. So I, I had the same reaction. Like, this, this is not right. To try to plan every second of your child's summer, their free time. So to do that, I had to, I had to leave the country. <laughs> Literally, literally, yeah. Take them out of the country, and all of when I told everybody, you know, we're going to Africa for six weeks. They're like, "What?" You know, Emma, one, I, I can't do ballet, and I can't do this camp or that mm-hmm. camp, and no, we're going to Africa. So anyway, that's my fed up with the structured summer story. But anyway, that was, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and, and it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong, and nobody. Yes. It is back to the the accolades and the gold stars. Like yeah. all of my peers yeah. were giving me thumbs down <laughs> and telling me I'm wrong, mm-hmm. and it feels bad. You really had to stick to your guns, mom. I mean, it was really like when we say the internet was young and people thought it was a scam. Like that was super real. It was like, what you found it on the internet? Yeah, I don't think Google. She probably asked. <laughs> Yeah, we went to Costa Rica in 2002. And yeah, my parents said, what are you yeah. doing? Oh, taking your kids where? 
<laughs> we love to ask all of our guests, what does the good dirt mean to you? And that can be metaphorically or literally or however you like to think of the good dirt. I look at the good dirt as something that is long-term and sustainable and you you feed it and you nurture it and you just trust and have faith that if you're tending to your soil and paying attention to it, eventually good things will come from it and you may not see it right away. And it's okay to delay gratification and just trust that if you continuously fertilize and water and tend that something amazing will come out of that dirt. Thank you. That's so great. Thank you. I also wanted to say something. The idea of slow cooking, love it, obviously, totally on board, love slow food. <laughs> but I have found that for me personally, I have a little bit of an internal struggle because I love cooking and I love eating slow food and I want to live that way. But I have yet to figure out the balance of making it feel sustainable. It does feel like a chore. And I understand why the country is dependent on prepared meals and frozen meals. You know, I get that. And so I think what you're doing and what you've done is super cool in that you've kind of cracked the code a little bit. You've given a roadmap to having real slow food, slowly cooked with this amazing plants that we have <laughs> readily available crockpot and that couched in the way you just described how you see good dirt as the intention and the understanding that laying the foundation for a long term we're just so not programmed to think long term and i'm just very personally really feel like i'm getting a lot out of this conversation so i thank you you too you're so very welcome so before we close what would you like to leave our audience with about yourself or what you do or just, just anything else you'd like to talk about before we and our wonderful conversation here. <laughs> I have had so much fun and I, I am so thankful and grateful that we were able to connect. And thank you for having me and for just sort of letting the conversation flow in this unstructured way. It feels very homey and, and loving and warm. And I like that we took this meandering path because I do think that's what living a slow life is all about of just sort of trusting that you're going to get there when you get there. And you can have this kind of long, big dream vision and it'll play out the way it plays out. If you, on a daily basis, continue to make the right tiny little mini decisions of drinking the right things and eating the right things and moving your body and being kind to others it will play out in a great way and you don't have to rush it and you don't have to force it and you don't have to fill out your bullet journal in this particular way or you're going to feel like you failed. No, it's, there's, there's no grades. It comes from within and I'm so thankful to have this conversation. So I'm Stephanie O'Day and my website is stephanieoday.com and O'Day is O-D-E-A and it's all one word. And then the podcast is The Slow Living Podcast. And I would love to hear from any of your readers, any of your listeners. I'm here. I am a real person. I answer my own email. If you are interested in any sort of long-term or short-term goal planning and setting, I would love to help you and coach you. And all in all, if you have listened 
obviously you are wonderful and an amazing human. And I just want to give you a great big, huge, juicy hug. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for your time today. It's been really delightful and we appreciate it. And we'll be in touch. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a wonderful day. Hi, my name is Leslie Cox. I'm one of your newer members. And I just wanted to say I really enjoyed listening and and I could relate to both episodes 98 and 97 because for 97, I'm trying to learn how to use medicinal herbs for your body and in cooking. And I really, really enjoyed listening to Spencer. And then I was an FIT uh, fashion design major for quite a while. And I really want to get into plant dyeing, and I enjoyed Allie and Sarah's talk on rooted botanics because I'm a fiber artist, and I'm also trying to learn natural dyeing. So I just wanted to let you know that I really, really appreciated those. But anyway, I'm going to say thank you, and have a good day. Bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye. Goodbye.